that are alive, you are coming with me. What is this bullshit? Good Trash Genre Cast. I love you. I know. Wax on, right hand. Wax off, left hand. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Donor Cast, where people gather around a table and we discuss the films that you might sometimes, but usually don't, discuss in the course of a film today's class. This week's film is Training Day. It's all about Conor McGregor. No. <laughs> no, no, it's not. No. That's not. A, that was a, hey, good pull, though. That was funny. Now, thus and therefore, let's go ahead and identify ourselves for the dear listener. Who are you, sir? Uh, my name is Dalton Stewart, and Dustin, I will do whatever Denzel Washington tells me to do. Not what you tell me to do. Strictly Denzel. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. On yeah, no, either, I, will, I will do whatever he tells me to do. On either count. The, the not listening to me part is really what I was really yeah, keen, no, keen I, in on. I could tell. Uh, my name is Dustin Sells, and we in the office, baby. And uh, <laughs> such a good moment. And yeah, this is the or, uh, I thought we were going back to the office. No, no. We in the office. Yeah, this is it. We're going to talk about this film. It's a long time coming, as we have said. It is a film often mentioned on one of our uh, spinoff shows, uh, The People's History of Film, hosted by Mr. Dalton Stewart. Um, That's and Dal- me. Dalton, I think you've been burying the lead on a story that you tell all the time. Oh, God. All right. Well, we'll get this out of the way just in case we don't have we have some listeners who never bothered to listen to The People's History, um, and that's fine. Uh, so when I was 10 years old, my father, my, my birth father... When you were 10? When I was 10 years old, okay. my birth father took me to see Training Day in theaters. Uh, my sister gets mad at me because when I tell the story, I leave out that she was also there, and she was younger than 10. <laughs> yeah, that that is the real lead right there. Yeah, I really have been burying the lead on that. Uh, uh, she, she was uh, miffed at me at one point. for She's like, hey, dummy, uh, you're leaving out part of the best part of the story. I was there, too. So, yeah, my, my, my father, who's not always the most responsible person, took us to see Training Day. And, uh, yeah, made me fall in love with cop movies, made me fall in love with Denzel and Ethan Hawke. There you go. Um, you know what? I have an interesting story about the first time I watched this film as well. It was What's on, that? It was on the syllabus for a film studies course. Oh, really? That I took in seminary in film and theology. Really? This was a, uh, a an entire unit uh, dealing with this film. Well, I guess we're going to have to get into that. At That's going to have to happen. In yeah, we'll analysis. have to talk about that. But I guess before we get into analysis, let's uh, before we get started, let's tell the people how this works. Oh, you know what? Yeah, we should do that. This is not a review show, y'all. This is an analysis show, and that means we are going to do some spoiling. And so, you know, your cherry will get popped, as they say in the film, over and over again. Virgin lungs. Uh, your virgin lungs uh, are going to definitely be defiled uh, throughout the course of the show. But we give you a brief reprieve. What we do, I, we have been told by some listeners that listening to the show does result in some similar side effects to ingesting PCP. I, I think so. Yeah, you get wet. You know, um, that's just something that <laughs> that's too many meetings for you to say it. I, I, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, sir. that's right. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it when you get older. My virgin ears yeah, don't I'll, understand. I'll, these I'll words. tell you. I'll tell you about it when you're older. Dad. Okay, thanks. But what we'll do in order to give you that brief reprieve is this: we will have a synopsis from the voice of the Dalton Theater, and after that, we will do our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews of the film as to whether or not we liked it or enjoyed our watch rewatch 
experience of the film in question. Then we will play our game, which might at times, um, in some shows it does, in this show probably not, it does involve some mild spoilers of this film or other films in their orbit. So that is uh, the end of the spoiler embargo, though. Once we get past that, the blockade opens and we move into business time, and uh, there are no spoiler holds barred at that point. You have been warned. So, without any further ado, Mr. Dalton Stewart, voice of the Dalton Theater, let's hear that synopsis. From IMDb users, Mystic80 and Asman316. I think it's Osman. Uh, it's Asman. Hey, do you remember that old David Letterman sketch with uh, Dick Asman? Yeah. It was Osman. <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, on his first day on the job as a Los Angeles narcotics officer, a rookie cop goes behind a full work day in training. My phone just locked up. A rookie cop goes beyond a full work day in training within the narcotics division of the LAPD with a rogue detective who isn't what he appears to be. That is a poorly written synopsis. It is indeed. But I want to also contest one point. There's a thing that keeps coming up. They keep calling that cop, Ethan Hawke, a rookie. Yeah, I, I, he, he's been on the force. I mean, he's, he's, he's green. 19 yeah. months, though. 19 months as a patrol officer is nothing to turn your nose up you at. You put a year in. You, you're a cop. You, yeah. You've been a cop. He knows, he knows, he knows the deal. So, yeah, and he's, he's, he's past 18 months even. So, yeah, I, I don't see how that's a thing in which you say... Well, he's yeah, a, I guess he's a rookie narcotics officer. He's definitely rookie for the new unit. I mean, it's first promotion yeah. is what he's at, uh, yeah. really, in, in sort of the whatever the hierarchy of the LAPD, however that works. But, no, I don't really consider Hoyt to be a rookie. Yeah, I, I guess that's... I think that's fair. So, I, I mean, Denzel sees him as a... Uh, Alonzo sees him as a rookie because... He hasn't worked narcotics before. Yeah. So uh, as far as uh, Alonzo Harris is concerned, being a patrol cop ain't being a real cop, I think. Yeah, because yeah, if you're helping people, you know, uh, change their tires and keep safe on the yeah. highways, if you're, you know, doing the blockade thing so that EMS can do their job and no one yeah. gets hurt, that apparently doesn't count, which yeah, he's, is He's, he's, he's like, no, no, you're doing some lawful good. We're, we're over here doing some lawful evil, baby. Yeah, well, I'm just going to say this. As a former emergency services worker, um, I love the patrol cops. They are wonderful insofar as they are doing, they're doing good work. They're doing hard work. Now, do they do, are there overreaches like what we're going to see in this film? Of course there are. Are there things to criticize? Of course there are. But it is not um, an ignoble practice to be uh, working out of a black and white car. Yeah, and I, I think that that's that's good that you laid that groundwork because we're going to be real mean to the police for the next hour, probably. Yeah, and again, uh, detectives, narcotics cops—they're they're doing good stuff too, I suppose. But there are other places where overreach can happen, and you know we're gonna we're gonna address that. Yeah, here in a it's bit. it's gonna come up. So, but without getting too far ahead of ourselves, we do have to talk about whether or not we like this movie or not, Dalton. So, um, shock us, tell us, Dalton. <sighs> yeah, do you like Training Day? I love Training Day so much. And it's impossible for me to divorce, like, what it means to me on a personal level. So let's just get that out of the way. I, it is very difficult for me to be entirely objective about this film because every time I watch it, I get completely sucked in and engrossed from the first scene. From the, the moment that Denzel wakes up with his wife. And it's honestly a, a very badly written scene uh, where David Ayer has his wife say moo to, as to why she's up already. I, well, you know what? I think that's a very real scene because I it have feels, had a feels, bride. It feels very written. Who was nursing point. our children? Yeah, and um, that joke gets made. Oh, I, I know, I know people who have you know nursed their children. I, I have friends who are mothers. I'm, I'm just saying, it feels very written. There are a couple of scenes in this film that feel a little a little too written, I guess. 
Um, but uh, I'm just trying to find negative things to say about it. Um, yeah, I mean, so you don't like Moo? I'm trying to. I'm Dustin. I'm, I'm working here. <laughs> Give me a second. Uh, well, I, I don't like how this this movie treats women. I mean, the only female characters of note are. Ethan Hawke's wife, who's in one scene, and uh, Ava Mendez as Alonzo's mistress, who's in, what, two scenes? Although I love her always and everything. She's fun, yeah. She, I mean, she you can tell, uh, you know, why she's become a big star since this movie. Like, even in the, you know, the one scene that she has where she's got clothes on. Um, right. She, she very quickly, she, she ha, hey, pay attention to me. Like, I, I, I'm uh, noticeable when I'm on screen. But, yeah, I, there's just not a lot, a whole lot for, for women to do in this movie. And I, I guess that fundamentally is... Because it is a story about two men. Um, now, that being said, that is not an excuse. Oh, I forgot about the third female character who is almost a victim of sexual assault. So, um, yeah, the, the, the gender politics of this oh, film are troubled. Oh, also the musician lady. Uh, her name. Oh, Macy Gray. Macy yeah. Gray. Come on. Okay. The, okay. So I guess I, I should say there are interesting female characters in this movie. Well drawn, probably not. No. Uh, but again... This is fundamentally a, a movie about these two men, uh, and that's not giving the film a pass. It's just saying, let's let's look at what we have before us, I guess. Um, and again, this is me trying to problematize the film because I do like it so much. And I, I want to try and find things uh, about it that, that don't work for me because so much of it does. Um, it is a powerhouse performance from Denzel Washington. I mean, there there is a reason it's his Oscar performance, and we talked about that being problematic in of itself last week when we were teasing that we were doing this movie. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it is a popular topic of conversation that this is the movie he won his Academy Award, his leading actor Academy Award for, as opposed to Malcolm X. And yeah, I mean, that speaks to issues in Hollywood. I think uh, a lot of the time because he probably should have uh, gotten an Oscar for both of them. Um, but to, to say that. Alonzo Harris isn't one of Denzel Washington's best performances just because it is kind of problematic uh, in terms of larger sociopolitical issues. You know, I, I'm not going to do Denzel a disservice like that because it is an amazing performance. And it, it took me a while. There, there was a point in my life where I didn't recognize how good this performance. And I think it was me trying to demystify Denzel because he holds such a special place in my heart. And I was like, oh, no, it's just, you know, it's just Denzel doing Denzel, but he's swearing. No, that's not it. It's really not. It, it is such a deep and layered performance because Alonzo Harris is working on so many levels at every single moment in this film. Um, and I think while it's clear he, by the end of the film, it's very clear he always had nefarious intentions for Hoyt. I think there is some genuine appreciation and respect for Hoyt as well. And I think that's what makes his, Denzel's performance so great. Uh, and Ethan Hawke's performance is very good. I mean, Ethan Hawke has a very difficult job in this movie. Keep up with Denzel Washington. Oh, Ethan Hawke can play stoned so well. He does well. it quite well, yeah. He, he has a lot of fun that first... I mean, it's really most of the first act is he's on PCP. It's it's until they um, they have that uh, encounter with uh, the two vagrants uh, accosting this woman who uh, we will learn later has a, a fairly powerful and, and well-connected cousin. Um, but yeah, I mean, for the first half of this movie, he's just baked. Uh, but he has to keep up with Denzel through this whole movie. Um, because while I, I, yeah, it's not unfair to say that Denzel Washington is the lead actor of this film. Ethan Hawke, the, the Jake Hoyt character is definitely the protagonist. Uh, and that's very interesting just as it's interesting for a film f that the antagonist is the lead is without a doubt the lead. Yeah. Uh, which I think is a really interesting, just structural choice. Uh, and it's one of the things that I think makes this movie work very well. Um, uh, as far as formal things, I know we were both talking about this before we got started. 
you know, there's not a whole lot to talk about. It's it's very competently shot. I think Fuqua would get a lot better in his career, uh, kind of establishing his style. Uh, and it's not that this film is, you know, not without really interesting touches and things. Uh, the, the lighting, I, th- I think of the lighting in um, uh, Scott Glenn's character's house, whose the character name escapes me. Roger. Roger, thank you. Uh, the lighting in Roger's house I think is really great in both of the scenes in Roger's house. Um, but again, we, we did talk about how there just there's, there's not a whole lot. Um, I, I will say there's a, a couple of what I'm assuming are either crane or helicopter shots of the, the Monte Carlo going through the streets of L.A. that are really, really pretty. That car is sexy, though. That's a good-looking vehicle. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, there there is definitely um, just not a whole lot to talk about uh, in, in that regard in terms of the filmmaking because it's not in your face with technique. Uh, but it is very competently and very beautifully shot. I, I will definitely say that. But, uh, again, for me, I, I come back to those two lead performances because they're so good. Um, and, you know, as we talked about with He Got Game, there's this, uh, this unknowability, right, about, um, Shuttlesworth Sr. Um, there's this unknowability about him as a character, about Denzel's character in that film. And I think you get a lot of that with Alonzo. There, there is a certain amount of unknowability because he, he is kind of a force of nature. He, he is almost superhuman in his capacity for commanding a room. Um, and that's something you've seen a lot of Denzel Washington performances, and this is obviously no exception. Excellent, excellent. I appreciate that very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Um, I like the movie a lot, too. Uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, I think I might have been more shocked by it um, in my seminary days had uh, not uh, the week prior in the uh, syllabus been the film Magnolia. And so I had uh, <laughs> uh, been somewhat desensitized at that point uh, for that kind of stuff. But uh, nonetheless, uh, th- this film, yeah, it's great. It's very, very well done in all the ways that you have already described. I do want to give more props to Mr. Ayer, though, uh, for the screenplay. because The screenplay is very good. It is amazing. That diner scene, when he, uh, when Hoyt and Alonzo really meet for the first time. It's such a good scene. I mean, that scene is electric. Yeah, absolutely electric. And so very, very well performed. I mean, obviously, they had to bring those words to life. But everything is already buried. The power structure, the ways of manipulation... All of that stuff is buried inside just that little nugget of a scene. And again, for our listeners who maybe haven't seen Training Day in a while and just want to listen to this episode, I I want to just kind of paint the picture a little bit. It's this really great moment where uh, Hoyt meets up with with Alonzo, and he's like, all right, I'm I'm ready to go to work. And he says, well, hold on. I'm reading the paper. Get yourself something to eat. It's going to be a long day. He's like, oh, no, I I had breakfast already. He's like, oh, okay. And keeps reading his paper. Hoyt does not understand that that was not, like, I'm not being polite. I'm trying to give you something to do while I read my paper, uh, and I'm I'm testing the water. I'm going to see if you're going to take that free meal, and I'm going to see if you're going to try and bother me and try to, like, show off. And that's the first thing that, that uh, Hoyt does is he tries to bother Alonzo, and he tries to show off a little bit, and try to he tries to show how, like, uh, gung-ho he is and how, you know, ready to get started he is. Like, dude, I'm reading the paper. Leave me alone. Uh, and, and you know the whole time that that's probably what Alonzo was wanting. Alonzo yeah. knows that this kid, this green rookie, uh, this rookie to him is, is going to bother him while he's trying to read the paper. So he's, he knows he's setting it up so that he then says, well, if you're not going to let me entertain myself by reading the paper, you're going to entertain me. Tell me a story. Um, and then he very quickly establishes what makes Hoyt uncomfortable. Okay. Talking about your wife and your family. Okay. So he's that first scene trying to get under Hoyt's skin. And what's brilliant about all of this um, that's in the writing as well is that 
Alonzo does not know exactly what Jake's going to do. It is a choose-your-adventure novel in which Jake loses no matter what. Had yeah. Jake decided to eat the food, he would have been a f- freeloader taking the free meal, or he would have been too uh, uninteresting to actually make up conversation. It would have been any number of things yep. that would have happened differently. He would have found something. And so that this this is a psychological manipulation at its peak, and it continues that it... Oh, Alonzo, he spends the whole damn movie gaslighting this yeah, kid. Yeah, absolutely. And the whole... And the whole film, he's setting up options and possibilities in other ways and, and trying to figure out ways in which he can get a hold of some money. That's a major plot point. Uh, ways in which he can take care of Hoyt uh, regarding how he can either involve him or get him outside of the uh, little uh, criminal ring he's running outside of the LAPD, inside rather, of the LAPD. He's doing all of these things with all of these options already built in. And that is from really, really great script writing, not just in terms of dialogue, but in terms of employment. That he is, this is a very, very very well-plotted story that is, again, expertly shot uh, and directed. It's expertly acted. It's it's a film that is a ton of fun and uh, definitely, definitely worth your time. So I guess I'm beginning to show a little bit of where I'm going uh, later on in the show with all of this. But without any further ado, I want to tell you this about this conversation that we're having right now. It is a conversation that we want to have with you, the dear listener, via social media. Dalton, say the words about the social media thing so they can talk to us. Well, Dustin, uh, the good listener can find us on Facebook.com. That's Facebook.com forward slash GTM. And again, this is for all things Good Trash Media, not just the Good Trash Genre cast. Um, You can also find us on Twitter at Good underscore Trash. Um, I'm wondering if our listeners uh, from back in the day know, know that once upon a time I would try to take monologues from films and adapt them to social media. Yes, I worked on the King Kong Ain't Got Shit on Me monologue and, uh, Honestly, it was just going to be an excuse for me to to say uh, to to find a way to turn shoe program into blocking you, uh, and and saying that uh, you'll be passing around memes on Instagram uh, when I'm done with you. So uh, that 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 what is it? You'll be playing pickup at Pelican Bay. That's so good. Yeah. Uh, that that whole monologue is so great. But anyway, I, I decided not to do that. I'm just giving it to you straight. Again, that's goodtrash.com. Uh, I'm sorry, goodtrashmedia. Uh, is going to be found on Twitter at good underscore trash, facebook.com forward slash GTM, and of course our home website, goodtrashmedia.com. Those are the places to engage with us. And of course, always please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your desired uh, podcast delivery system. And, uh, you know, tell your friends and stuff. There you go. Uh, so, enough of this foolishness. I think it's time to play the game. Time to play the game. And we're back, and this week's game is our favorite Oscar-winning performances. That's right, favorite Oscar-winning performances, brought to you by Training Day, Training Day, Denzel Washington. King Kong ain't got shit on him. That's accurate to say, and so we're just going to be picking... Because you know what? King Kong ain't got no Academy Award, does he? No, no, he really doesn't. And uh, does Ray Harryhausen have an award? Uh, yes, I think, Surely. I, think he, I think he has an honorary. Okay, that's going to happen. If not a pro, uh, an Oscar, an in-competition Oscar, I know he has an uh, honorary one, I think. Maybe we can find some way to get an award for uh, Andy Serkis, but nonetheless... Uh, well, Dustin, why don't you lead us off? What's your, your first pick? My my first pick, uh, one of my favorite performances in all the film, is a uh, actually a Best Supporting actor uh, award. Uh, this is a multi-award winning actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, one Mr. Jack Nicholson. And yep. uh, it's, it's his it's role as the Joker in Batman. 
I, I know the Ledger performance is amazing, and wait, it's a did, lot did of Nicholson get an Oscar for he it? He did. Too? I thought he just got nominated. You, got, you know what? I think he only was nominated. You're correct. But well, we'll go ahead and allow the cheat. Yeah, I'm going to cheat just a little bit because I think it's Oscar worthy. Uh, and I guess in terms of nominees not winning, then if I can say two, then because I'm already cheating, I'm going to say Val Kilmer as a Doc Holliday also in Tombstone. Yeah, but really fun. Two very fun supporting that, that performances. should have won uh, supporting performances are, are what I'm going to begin with. Uh, I guess that's my warm up into uh, what will come next. Uh, Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say for your first selections? Uh, my first selection is going to be one that uh, I, I I've stumbled across as I was just kind of looking at like, you know, age superlatives or like, you know, most wins, things like that. And I remembered a film that I have not thought about in a very long time. So I want to give a little love to the oldest person to win a best uh, leading actor Oscar, and that is Henry Fonda for his performance in On Golden Pond. Yeah, I like On Golden Pond. I oh, think it's a very sweet film. That is I, I know my wheel. That. I know my wheelhouse is a you know a very specific thing that does not typically involve uh, sweet uh, saccharine family films like On Golden Pond. But I I I, uh, I like it a lot. I, I watched it with my family uh, as a child more than once, and I just always found it a very charming film. And I think Henry Fonda's performances. Really quite spectacular in it, so I wanted to give some love to that. All righty. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I'm going to say Daniel Day-Lewis in There Will Be Blood. Yeah, I, you can't G- not. Golly, that it, man. It's it's one of those ones where everybody knew pretty, like, as soon as that movie premiered, everybody knew who the, the winner was going to be. Yeah, the Lincoln uh, performance gets a lot of love, too. Because it's, it's good. And the My Left Foot. But, I mean, it, for me, it's it's always yeah. There Will Be Blood. It's it will just forever and for always be Daniel Plainview. Yeah, that's, it's definitely one of my favorite. And I mean, he's doing this great John Huston sort of impersonation uh, while he's at it. And then you know, there's a weird thing that happens where people sort of pretend to be somebody else while they're acting, and it, yeah. it really, really works. Yeah, man, uh, it, it's that real like deep levels of acting where he's always the character is always performing. Right. You know what I mean? And that's that's really what's one of the things that I find so special about that performance. Excellent, excellent. So what's your next pick, Mr. Dalton? My next pick uh, is another uh, superlative uh, winner. This is uh, the... Oh, I want to double-check my facts real quick. Uh, and I my phone uh, is not being as uh, cooperative as I would have preferred. There we go. Just wanted to make sure I was correct. Um, this is the youngest person to ever win uh, an Academy Award for Best Actress at the time, obviously, and it's Marley Matlin in Children of a Lesser God. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, and the only uh, time that a, uh, there's, as far as I know, there was an Oscar given out for a uh, performance by a hearing-impaired or deaf actor. Uh, Marley Matlin is a great performer. She's really great. And um, I, I think what that Oscar does is it, it does a really great thing which is shine a light on uh, deaf and uh, hearing impaired uh, actors because there is a lot of them and they're very good uh, acting in ASL is a very specific skill um, and Marley Madeline is uh, is a really uh, just talented and gifted performer and she has a brilliant turn in the West Wing yeah she does uh, I knew you were going to bring brilliantly that up. comedic and yeah. Uh, just yeah well, it's, and she's very funny in Children of a Lesser God too yeah. she's super funny in that movie um, and it's yeah it's a great performance and I just wanted to I, again as I was going through these age superlatives those two stood out to me I was like oh shoot big deal I'm a big fan of both of these performances so I wanted to give those some love alright well my next selection is way back in the archives and uh, this 
this is for a film called Mildred Pierce, Joan Crawford. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. kills it. And it's a different style of acting. It's not that method style acting that we see out of a Daniel Day-Lewis. But it is still just absolutely incredible what she's able to do with that film, how she's able to be lovable and hateable, detestable, and uh, somehow alluring all at the same time. She just crushes it in that. And she's one of my favorite stars of all time. You know, I mean, I love Ingrid Bergman. I'm a huge Inger Bergman fan for many, many reasons. But uh, her her winning roles in Anastasia and Gaslight, I don't really like as well. Um, those are not my favorite Bergman performances by by a long stretch. And uh, it's one of those cases in which that actress, um, unlike Joan Crawford, who I think she actually won for her best performance, mm-hmm. um, she doesn't get rewarded for the really, I think, the really stellar standouts uh, like Joan Crawford does. Uh, this uh, next one's a twofer. And it's one that comes up a lot on the show, but it's it's not something that happens a whole lot. So, yeah, I'm going to give it some love because it's, you know, one of, uh, I, I would say, like, one of the flagship good trash movies, if that makes sense. And that's going to be uh, Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins and Silence of the Lambs. Uh, there's not a whole lot of movies where two actors from the same film both uh, take home gold at the at the ceremony. And, uh, yeah, what am I going to do? Not bring that up because we, we love us some Hannibal here on this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've done uh, both Manhunter and... Um, and Silence of the Lambs. I would not be surprised if we do both Red Dragon and Hannibal before the end At of this show's point, run. Yeah, yeah, we're we're big fans of of that universe and um, big fans of both of those performances. So I wanted to give them some love because how often does that happen? Absolutely. Uh, back to Best Supporting Actor. Uh, one of the first movies that helped me to love movies, mm-hmm. uh, which is one. You know, it's weird. You know, the the things you sort of fixate on. You start quoting lines and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And it's not one of those Monty Python kind of movies for me. But me and my high school buddies. Kid you not, it was City Slickers was starring Billy Crystal. Do you know this movie? Yeah, I'm familiar with uh, it, City Slickers. It, it, it's a hoot. It's, I mean, it's one of those uh, most schmaltzy of possible plots. Life is for living. But Jack Palance. Jack Palance won an Academy Award for, for his For Best role Supporting role. Actor as Curly. Good Lord. Man, what happened to when we kept giving uh, Best Actor awards to uh, comedies? That yeah. does not happen anymore. Yeah. You might see a nomination here and there, but not any wins. Yeah, but, uh, you know, again, that's just that great line, you know, Curly, kill anybody today? Day ain't over yet. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, it's just it's brilliant writing that, that's absolutely, absolutely supporting him here. But also his performance is just so believable. And he does that shtick, that, that, that wheezy, asthmatic shtick mm-hmm. that he's always doing um, that he does alongside Jack Nicholson, actually, in Batman. Yeah. yeah. Uh, dots connected. Now, hey, uh, let me ask you something. Is it Jack Palance or Jack Palance? I'm going to with plans but i've, I've never i've heard it said both ways and i never have ever been able to figure out what the the correct pronunciation is having never met jack i don't really know okay um, well it's worth a shot i mean that'd be about my second question hey how do i say it how do i how do i say that uh, or the first uh, sir can i get you anything uh because yeah. yes uh that is a that is an elder statesman of the cinema who uh, deserves all your love and respect uh, so there you go that's our gameplay for some of our favorite actor nods from oscar which is no great indicator of uh performance because as we've already begun to speak sometimes people get things less deservingly sometimes mm-hmm. people get things because they've been deserving it for a while now yeah sometimes people get uh, their awards for really stupid, asinine uh, performance art uh, masquerading as acting um, in films like, um, oh, I don't know, uh, things with bears come to mind. Uh, instead of getting uh, the awards for you know films they should have gotten them, you know, which is a really nuanced and tortured performance uh, as a Boston police officer. So, mm. 
Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm not thinking of anybody in particular. I, you know, I, you weren't ringing any bells for me. No, so. no, this is totally hypothetical. Yeah, I get what you're saying, though. So uh, there you go, dear listener. We'd love to hear your picks on those uh, various means of social media already mentioned in the show. But I think we're going to go ahead and get down to business. And we're back, and that business is, as always, analysis. And there are a lot of things to talk about uh, with this film. I guess we ought to talk about the police. Dalton, what do you think of the police? What? Jesus, uh, thanks for the loaded <laughs> question. Um, I think in a civil society, uh, one in which we assume a certain amount of social contract happening, uh, that there is a necessity for law enforcement. Yes. Period. Now, what there is not a necessity for is uh, legislating people's morality. Uh, there's not a uh, place for criminalizing people's morality. Uh, and that's something that uh, the police have been expected to do uh, and enforce for quite some time. Um, now, what we will say here is that um, I am operating from the premise, and if you choose to reject my premise, you can, and that is your right to do so. I am operating from the premise that... Policing in the United States is fundamentally flawed in a lot of ways. Uh, sometimes that is how criminal investigations are conducted, how, um, you know, what is considered actionable evidence. Um, and it's something that we have been working on for literally as long as we've been trying to solve crimes. Um, we are also, I, I also am operating under the premise that as part of that flaw, the United States criminal justice system is enforcing things that should not be enforced a lot of the times and is doing things in uh, an overly penal way. So by extension, all police officers, whether or not they are good or bad police officers, are subject to the whims of a bad system. Now, that is true of all civil servants. Sure. Um, all civil servants are beholden to the system in which they have chosen to work. Um, and there are plenty of civil servants, including police officers, who do not like the system that they work within. However, the structure of policing, the culture of policing in this United States is one of brotherhood. And as we work towards a more gender equal society, a one of just a general gender neutral fraternity. I don't know that there is a word for gender, gender neutral uh, familial uh closeness in, in a workforce. Uh, but that's what we should hope for. That doesn't really happen in policing, and that's a huge problem in and of itself, uh, that alone. The larger issue, though, that we're I'm, I'm getting at is that uh, cops don't rat on each other, even if they don't agree with another what another cop is doing. Um, and this is something that you will see throughout not only fiction, but also real cases of police overreach and police misconduct and police abuse, is there are plenty of good cops who do not like bad cops. But the culture is such that there is a certain amount of demonization of whistleblowing. Uh, and again, working uh, in the government, that's the case in a lot of fields, not just policing. The difference is, you know, the guy that works for the Department of Water and Power can't shoot you. Correct. And therein lies the problem. And that's really all I have to say about that. When you ask me, what do I think about the police? <laughs> I know that was the longest answer I could have given you, but I was, I, I was doing my best 
to be delicate because I'm not I'm not trying to get on the show and throw you a bunch of all cops or bastards because right. while that's fun to say and while it's so, honestly it needs to be said sometimes it's not actually the case right. uh, because again if we are assuming that we want to live in societies in which there are public roads and public interactions we have to assume that we are going to have laws and somebody has to make sure people obey those laws so there is a necessity for that whether or not it is effective or moral all the time is you know a, a different philosophical question not just for uh that, that is uh too big and nebulous to be tethered to film analysis absolutely and uh, this film does uh, a thing that um films often do which is uh, shine a light on the existence of that kind of corruption i don't think anton fuqua i don't think david ayer is making or either one are making a sort of broad sweeping uh, statement about all police officers but they are pointing out that uh police corruption did not end in the 30s did not end in the 40s it didn't end it, after rampart yeah it didn't end in the 60s it didn't end after rodney king uh, that they it continues to be a thing that exists. Uh, and that's a fun bit of production trivia is um, David Ayer actually was originally working on this script when he was originally working on it. It was set in the Rampart division. Ah. Uh, and then the Rampart scandal happened, and then he had to kind of rework the screenplay in a lot of ways. So that was something I found very interesting. So, you know, these things do, in fact, happen. They are overreaches that occur. But I, you, you cannot watch this film, I think, at this point in time where we are in the life of – whether we're in the moment where we're thinking about uh, – Eric Garner, uh, Tra- uh, Trayvon Martin. We're thinking about Michael Brown. We're thinking about uh, specifically uh, some of the white supremacist racist tendencies that happen in law enforcement. And then to see this film in which our abusive police officer is African-American, played by Denzel Washington, mm-hmm. and our other, uh, our, our, our white knight, our, uh, you know, our, our straight man, is played by uh, Ethan Hawke, who yeah. is, you know, quite obviously very, yeah, and very you, white. Well, and yeah, White Knight was not an accidental choice of words. No. It is a very interesting choice. Um, And apparently one that was a choice pretty early in production because earlier versions uh, of this production before it got off the ground involved um, Samuel L. Jackson as Alonzo Harris. So the decision uh, in earlier drafts of the script, Alonzo Harris was Latino. Um, I don't know uh, if his name was still Alonzo Harris, but he was. uh, The the character was. Um, So it is an interesting choice. Um, what works about it, I, I will say, before we start to pick it apart, is where the relationships with um, the black community of the jungle, which has now been renamed, but that part of uh, Crenshaw, um, where this comes back around is Alonzo assuming that his blackness allows him a certain amount of flexibility. No. His abuse of power has allowed him a certain amount of flexibility, and that is what he is made to realize. When push comes to shove, these people fucking hate Alonzo, and they see Jake as a white dude sticking up for policing as it should be. And they see that, and there is value to that, and they say, no, you have leveraged your blackness, Alonzo Harris, against this community, and you are now being shamed for it. And we will let you die if this cop wants to kill you. And when he doesn't, they then respect him further and say, get out of here. We'll make sure he doesn't chase after you. Uh, and that, that's where the, the writing of Alonzo, uh, the character as being black, that's where the writing of it does make sense. And it makes it kind of a powerful moment in the film, right? The way the conversation about abuse and policing has shifted over the last 16 years from the release of Training Day, I, I wouldn't say quite go as far as to say it inherently and automatically problematizes the the racial choices of the leads 
Uh, what I will say is it does make a whole hell of a lot of sense when they try to make Training Day the television show that they did swap the, the races of the two main characters, or the two lead characters. Yeah, I, I think so, too. And I think uh, what what it does, uh, again, I don't want to take away from this uh, white supremacist trend and element that mm-hmm. is in uh, modern-day policing that does bring about the sorts of abuses of uh, young black bodies against the bullets of police gunfire. That that's absolutely a thing that's real, and it's something that we need to be talking about, we need to be talking about all the time. But I do think, more fundamentally, is the issue about abuse of power. The fact that this has created a system that does does indeed breed that kind of corruption, and that corruption transcends those racial kind of questions. And so that's what we have to fix, because even if we were to fix simply the racist component, which would be wonderful, it would not be enough. Mm-hmm. And I think this film does, in the in the modern conversation, speak to that in a way that I think is powerful and informative. Now, what I will say that it also speaks to, though, is the white supremacy of the screenplay that the beautiful, noble, true to his heart and true to justice police officer is a white police which officer. Which is super problematic. Which yes. is, and again, that, that's why as we're having this conversation, there is no right answer. This is a very much a both and also other things answer um, be, because it is a nebulous issue, not just socially, but within the film. Right. Uh, and I think that is a strength of the film is how complicated this dynamic is. Um, and, and it does it in ways that I, I think are subtle. And again, I think it actually, I, I'm saying subtle, not it doesn't address them because I think it does address them. It's just very subtle in how it chooses to engage with that. Right. And you, you could begin to pick apart the racism beyond simply just the casting of Jake Hoyt as the good guy mm-hmm. and played by Ethan Hawke, but also the two major gang factions that we experience in mm-hmm. the course of the film. There are three major arrests in the film. There's a white arrest, there's an African-American sort of uh, encounter with gang mm-hmm. culture, and then there's a uh, Latino-American uh, encounter with gang culture Mm -hmm. and uh the latinos and the african-americans are scary you don't want to be there that is a situation you don't you don't want to be at smiley's house you don't want to be in the jungle you don't want to be there at all but also the white people drive a volkswagen beetle that is avocado green and they look like they just got out of cal berkeley and they're Mm -hmm. scared to death and they're completely incompetent and they are again silly and they are comical in their criminality rather than um what's what i'm looking for just uh uh, frightening. They're, mm-hmm. they're not scary. Well, and, and I, that's would, a problem. I would go one step further. The other white criminal we see is Roger. Oh, yeah, Roger, who's uh, very white-collar white criminal. Yeah, uh, who is a drug dealer uh, who drinks $300 scotch um, and hang, hangs out with uh, Alonzo and is, like, friends to some extent with Alonzo, or is friendly with him, at least. It's a... Yeah. It, it's... Oof. Now, what I will say is what makes that interesting is you know, the Smiley's house. Um, I don't know if we get, I can't remember if we, we get a name of the, the guy that's kind of the, the head honcho in the jungle. I can't remember if that character is given a name on screen. I uh, can't remember offhand either. But his, his house uh, and Smiley's house is a place of community. Roger's house is a place of solitude and uh, hermitage. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, it speaks to an interesting thing that in the accumulation of power but also um agency through the gain of capital um it has become an active community in these other communities because there there are not a lot of other options for roger he has other options so he has been forced to ostracize himself from his community uh to be a drug dealer um and he has way more power than these other people uh because you know uh smiley's gang and you know the jungle these these people uh i should not have used that verbiage i hate that i did um i'm 
uh, spin off the top of the dome here. Sorry. Um, these communities, these groups of people, um, we are given reason to believe don't have a whole lot of other options, whereas Roger probably to- probably and almost certainly did. So it, it again, brings the brings about that question of um, power dynamics through not only race, but also uh, capital. Right. And here is the yes and also moment of, mm-hmm. of that bit of analysis, as you're pointing out. There is a third gang that is met. Uh, the three wise men, the uh, the three oh, leaders. Of the, the most the, powerful gang. Those guys are gangsters led by Tom Berenger, mm-hmm. and uh, they're all three white guys. Uh, and, and two other guys who I like a whole lot. Good uh, character, character actors. actors who, uh, one of them uh, notable for playing uh, Timothy Oliphant's dad on Justified. There yeah, you go. A lot of good character actors in this movie and they're the ones who absolutely retain and remain in their power absolutely and really they all sort of remain the status Mm -hmm. quo is not really upset in any way Mm -hmm. uh throughout the course of events of the film and so as a result these three wise men you know which is a funny name to give them um it it, is again it's just like the hillside tresses i mean they're the same kind of thing oh 100 percent. it is a cabal yeah and, and so they are gangsters as well, but they are, again, uh, they're shot and they're, uh, the setting is with all the accoutrement of, of uh, luxury and of uh, leisure and of great financial wealth. And so there is something, um, I, I, there's something sexy about all of their depictions, but uh, there, there's something in which there, there is a definite I was saying, everybody at, uh, everybody at Smiley's house seems to be having a good time. They're having a good time, but it, it's a different sort of vibe that you feel. Yeah, definitely. You know, when you're watching that sort of scene, as opposed to these guys drinking mm-hmm. their French wine, um, having their meeting place for lunch, you know, mm-hmm. a wine lunch, uh, as these major Ugh. heads Ugh. of <laughs> Ugh. of the uh, LAPD are uh, taking 40 grand from Alonzo so that he can uh, exercise a search warrant that'll help him pay off this debt he's got against uh, this Russian mobster. Yeah. And they know that Roger is operating. We are given every reason to believe that they know full well who Roger is, and he is allowed to operate with impunity. Yeah. With the exception that he might get taxed every once in a while, as Alonzo puts it. Yeah, it's fucked up, man. Uh, And I I think that that's... I I struggle with whether or not that's just really interesting or it's problematic, is that uh, the biggest villains, the people with the real power to do real social harm, Roger and the Three Wise Men, uh, are white and are always shot as less scary. Um, they're always shot, uh, especially Roger. Roger is shot in a very friendly manner. And again, we have only Alonzo's word to take for it that Roger's a bad guy. So, but I, you know, he probably isn't a good dude. I mean, not not a lot of good people have four million dollars in cash hidden under their kitchen floor. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. No, and I don't. No. No. I, I do not either. I, I have it, but I'm not going to tell you I, where. I'm a rent, I'm a renter. I can't put it in my kitchen. <laughs> you kidding me? Right. What if I get evicted? Uh, so that would be a real problem. So I want to move gears a little bit, and I want to talk about optima corruptio pessimi. Uh, what that? Oh, that's Latin. Well, uh, no, I, I'm, I'm yes, but <laughs> the best corrupted is the worst. This idea of corruption over time. You got to be a wolf. You got to be a wolf in order to take care of the sheep, right? In order to protect the sheep and take out the other wolves. And uh, there is there's a couple little lines that you might miss, but it sounds like Alonzo was very, very much like Jake. Before. We we are given every indication that he was also an idealistic young guy who wanted to make a difference in the world. 
And uh, I, I come to where this uh, particular film was uh, spoken about in my, uh, my theology course that I took in seminary. And it's this idea that a series of choices makes you, it changes you, it transforms you, and that those choices do have power outside in the world. And so Alonzo has made a set of choices that have damned him and that he has shut up in his damnation at the end of the film when the Russian mob finally catches up with him, right? And so there's that sort of thing going on as well. But there's also what's going on with Jake Hoyt. Jake Hoyt he screws himself up royally he really just should have got out the car i will do whatever you want me to do and then there's that the great delivery of that word i'm not going to say for obvious reasons and jake reads that moment a lot differently than alonzo means it yeah jake reads it as cool i've got street cred with this guy alonzo means it as you are my bitch right i own you i'm gonna use you now yeah you are under my thrall. You have made a deal with the devil by agreeing to do what I tell you to do and sitting in this car with me. And it is not long before he fucking cashes his chips in on that and puts a gun to his head and says, smoke that. And if we are going to go with this idea, the fundamental idea of sin, right? Let's mm-hmm. do this theological term. Let's, just, let's, let's define sin as going against your own principles. Okay. I, I think we can, everyone, no matter what their background, get, get behind that. Yeah, I can hang to, with to, that. To, 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 uh, to uh, renege against yourself, to, mm-hmm. to, to act in an inauthentic manner for a gain of any sort is fundamentally sinful. And the thing about sin in the biblical sense, and I think also in this sort of sociological sense that we're extending it towards, is that it all always takes you further than you plan it's never just the one thing it's never just the one hit off a joint turns out that joint's got pcp right it's never just serving this one sort of bad warrant it's also moving over Mm. into this thing right it's it's it goes from a fake warrant on a chinese takeout menu to serving a real warrant that ends in an execution right which is a a, a, an act of murder and that which is which is the point where um jake finally draws the line right i'm not going to take money and i'm not going to help lie that you killed roger and I think part of the, the – get, again, if we were going to make this into an Aesop's fable, the moral of the lesson here is that the sooner you say no to violating your own principles, the easier it is to walk away and to maintain your integrity. And that Jake's um, decision is good and upright, but it also puts him in a position where his integrity has indeed been violated. Now, what I will say is there is a bit of um, – yes – if you fight monsters, be wary that you do not become one. If you stare into the abyss, it stares also back. Blah, 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 blah. You don't ever look in the abyss. You don't know what's in the motherfucker. Right. You've got to go to where the darkness is. You have to go there. And Jake does not upend Alonzo Harris's plan. He does not help bring a bad person to justice. He does not help expose a corrupt narcotics unit without getting his hands dirty right and and, and there are some extents to where you can't avoid that but but how is it that he overcomes it right how is it because he stumbles his ass backwards into getting killed by making these 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 acts of contrition by continuing to cooperate even though he talks out of both sides of his mouth i'm gonna take you down i'm not gonna be like you i'm gonna hang out in your monte carlo but i'm not gonna be like you well that monte carlo takes him to an execution and the only thing that saves his ass is the one time in that day that he stayed true to his principles and said no that girl is in trouble i gotta go be a cop right and it's the one time the one time that he actively defies denzel uh, I should say Alonzo. Denzel uh, Washington is not a corrupt police officer. No, he is not. The He's... one time he defies Alonzo Harris, 
that's the time that ends up saving his ass. Right. He What ends up doing, he uh, sees two crackheads beating up a girl, attempting to rape her. Um, he is able to stop that event from taking place. He picks up her wallet at random. Again, this is great screenwriting. It's good screenwriting, here. man. Just to stick that thing in your pocket. And then later, uh, it is the same street gang that her cousins belong to that Alonzo hires out to execute Jake. And as they're going through his pockets for loose change, they happen to find the wallet, which makes them incensed, right? It, it infuriates them because they're thinking, what have you done? But then he tells them the story of grace and mercy and a protection of doing the right thing. And they then extend another act of grace and mercy. Right. And so uh, it, it, it's weird in which uh, this film does sort of play off an idea that's, again, it's sort of a Roman's idea if I'm going to get real Bible school on you right now. Mm-hmm. So from one man's terrible act, so much death and destruction are brought into the world is the argument in Romans. But also if one man does the right thing, so much more life happens. That's exactly the situation. Alonzo Harris is making some terrible decisions. And Ethan Hawke is making some bad choices. But uh, Ethan Hawke, Jake Hoyt. They're they're making some terrible decisions. But because of one life-giving decision, so much more life is brought into the world. So much more possibility is made open. It's by doing the right thing. It is this idea that good does indeed overcome evil insofar as we resist the urge to violate our principles and act the way we um, know to, to be true to our own selves well and i think what it even allows it to further shine through is that this is not a film with acts of redemptive violence no um this is a film where the one noble act of violence involves uh sacrifice jake hoyt gets his ass kicked he gets beat down saving that girl Mm -hmm. and that's the one time that violence is shown to be just right it's the one time that violence is shown as the good thing the right thing to do is to stop this rape He's got to do violence. And it's the only time that this movie gives a pass to violence because guess what doesn't happen? He doesn't kill Alonzo Harris. A lot of other movies have Jake, a lot of other movies like this give Jake Hoyt a chance to shoot Alonzo Harris in a justified manner. Although he does shoot him in the butt. He does shoot him in the butt because he's picking <laughs> up a gun. Correct. He, he, does, he, ha, he, he could have killed him and he didn't. Yeah. He could have killed him and he didn't. And instead, his retribution is much more karmic. Yes. It is born out of his own temper, his own violent nature is what brings him his death is is the fact that he thought he was hot shit and he could go to vegas and just beat up anybody that mouthed off to him well no it turns out there's still a pecking order and these people don't care if you're a cop that badge doesn't mean anything to these guys you're talking about an international crime syndicate they don't give a shit about an lapd officer you kidding me no uh and that's you know that's a denzel thing uh, i guess in an earlier draft alonzo got away with it uh denzel doesn't like that he he likes his uh irredeemable characters to be punished um and, uh, yeah, Alonzo Harris gets his comeuppance. And it's not at the hands of Jake Hoyt. And I think that's really Jake Hoyt. What Jake Hoyt does is dismantle his power. Yes. Jake Hoyt doesn't take his life, though. And that allows what you were saying. It allows that, that redemption to keep going through. It allows that act of, uh, of mercy, that act to, to shine through. And he, he gets to come out at the other side having not taken human life. And I, I think that allows the film to, you know, it's the film doesn't end up having its cake and eating it, too. You know what I mean? It actually gets to just have that good that that good morality to it honestly which is a weird thing to say about training day it yeah. makes the film sound much more wholesome than it is yeah it, it's not so much uh, have you seen the uh, alternate ending to the film no okay there's an alternate ending where uh, when hoyt gets to his uh, driveway mm-hmm. that uh the three wise men are waiting on him there at the house really and uh, tom berenger is doing most of the talking here and he asks him about the money Where's the money? I know Alonzo didn't make his pickup. Mm-hmm. You know, you're good to go. You're fine. Nothing's going to happen to you. We're going to make. But where's the money? Where's the money? And he goes, I checked it into evidence. 
Wasn't that what I was supposed to do? It's all evidence. I checked it into evidence. Now stay away from me. It's it's a great shutdown kind of moment. Yeah, and it feels a little too on the nose, it, though. It does, I, can, I can see why they got rid of that. Yeah, it, it does. It does also give us idea that uh, I, I like the idea that Jake is going to have to go on with his career and either stop or stay. He, yeah, he's either going to quit or try to make <laughs> some sort of life in the LAPD, knowing knowing what he knows now. Yeah, knowing that it's not just Alonzo Harris, and that's that's the thing that I think the film gets right. It doesn't just say it's this one cop because if it said it's just this one cop and it casts that cop as a black character, uh, yeah, that's a problem. Um, the real villains are the three wise men, mm-hmm. and that's that's the sense we get now. And and I think that would allow that to shine a little bit through. I think that that alternate ending, you know, having that alternate ending would allow that that message that the real villains are structural. Um, but it is also a little on the nose just to be like, yeah, I checked it into evidence. It's it's kind of a better ending to just now what I do love about that ending is the wraparound. Oh, yeah. The, an LAPD officer was killed today serving a high risk warrant. Oh man, when Lonzo reads 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 his obituary to him, that is the the scariest threat. Right. And what it does indicate, though, is this is going to be covered up. No one is ever going Mm -hmm. to know what actually went down. It's such a good it's such a good wraparound. Right. They're going to cover up that the L.A. the the Russian mob put out a hit on an LAPD officer. Now, speaking of endings, mm-hmm. uh, the, I think this is a good way to conclude our little discussion here. This is this is b- a little bit more light, a little bit more fluffy, like an omelet, uh, cooked both light and fluffy. Uh, just to discuss a little bit of performance here, mm-hmm. uh, Denzel's death at the end of the film, okay. because we are in spoiler territory. I love it's so what good. he does. He's the best. I mean, because he doesn't say anything. It doesn't get ignobled in some ways. It it it, it is just as nasty and ugly and raw. And he's already sad. he's already beat. Yeah, he's already been beaten. This is just the last thing he has to lose. Yeah, and it, I mean the the choices that are made both in terms of screenplay because they probably would have given him lines, you know, if he wanted them, they would have given them to him, and, and and the choice to withhold those lines and for him to simply physically be a desperate animal caught in a trap. Who says, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's great. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's really sort of an amazing moment in cinema um, as far as I – you know, I've seen a lot of people dying, you know, in the swooning and the last lines and, you know, whatever. Well, and that's, and that's, that's the thing that we come back to, right? The Oscar clip is King Kong ain't got shit on me. Right. The real great acting is order yourself some breakfast and okay. Yeah, and, and just before that, just gasping for air. Just it's really, really solid stuff yeah. that Denzel does. Yeah, and again, the, the showier stuff gets gets the spotlight, but it's really those first final that first scene, that final scene are I think two very subtle and small moments that really show what makes Denzel such a versatile and talented guy. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, there you go, dear listener. That's our analysis of the film Training Day. If you have any other thoughts that you'd like to send our way, we would love to hear them uh, via those means of social media previously mentioned. So, we must now render a verdict, uh, (laughs) which should be not shocking at all. Uh, Shell for trash, else or instead, regarding the film Training Day. Uh, Dalton, um, shell for trash. It's shell. I I think it is... 
one of the best studio movies of the early 2000s. I, I really do. I think I think it's one of the best cop movies of the early 2000s. I think it's one of the best Denzel Washington performances. I think it's one of the best Ethan Hawke performances. I think it shows it was showing us early that Ethan Hawke had an interest in genre cinema. This is the Ethan Hawke that was in Reality Bites and uh, you know before Sunrise and before Sunset. Right. Um, this is. Not the Ethan Hawke that would go on to be in Daybreakers and Sinister. Right. Um, and Although I, think, I love him in Sinister. Oh, I do too. And that's what I'm saying. I think this shows us that uh, that um, Ethan Hawke has an interest in genre cinema. He he wants to he wants to play. Um, and you know he had you know that uh, the Newton Boys the the oh, the yeah. yeah the train robbery movie with uh, Link Later and Vincent D'Onofrio and you know uh, McConaughey Skeet Ulrich. Skeet Ulrich. Yeah. So you know. Earlier, yes, he had shown that interest, but I think this is a much bigger film than uh, than that film, uh, and shows that Ethan Hawke you know, has action chops to some extent. And um, again, for all the reasons already mentioned, I think it's great. I think uh, it shows Anton Fuqua, who is you know a, a, a you know a, a pretty powerful guy in Hollywood these days, mm-hmm. and it shows the start of his career. David Ayer, also uh, the start of his career, who is you know got clout in Hollywood these days. I mean. Suicide Squad's a piece of shit movie, but it made a whole bunch of money. Um, and that's how clout is measured in Hollywood is, is in dollars. Um, but, again, it, it shows uh, peak Denzel, um, a really interesting place in uh, early Ethan Hawke uh, career, and the start of two uh, filmmakers that would go on to be pretty influential in Hollywood. So I think for those reasons, those historical reasons alone, it's important, uh, the, not the least of which being it's just a whole hell of a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. Um, what should you pair with it? Uh, something that I have been struggling with all day, actually. Um, I am going to go ahead and say uh, last week's film, He Got Game. I, I think it's a, a really interesting pairing to see uh, two characters who are charismatic, likable dudes who are also bad dudes. Now, obviously, Alonzo Harris is much, much, much worse than Papa Shuttlesworth. Yes. But um, I think they're really two interesting performances. Um, what else should you watch other than that? You know what? I'm going to recommend the other time that Denzel, Ethan Hawke, and Anton Fuqua teamed up. It's last year's Magnificent Seven remake, which is better than it gets credit for. I think it has a lot of interesting things going on in it. Um, one of uh, my favorite being that... Uh, the 2016 Magnificent Seven says, hey, uh, the Wild West was a racially diverse place. Let's make the Magnificent uh, Seven a racially diverse group of guys uh, with, you know, a very diverse set of backgrounds. Um, you know, you've got Ethan Hawke as the this uh, former Confederate sharpshooter um, who uh, is, a, I believe, of Cajun descent. Um, you've got Denzel as a... Um, I can't remember his backstory in that movie for life of me, actually. I think he was a Union soldier. Um, you've got um, this trapper played by Vincent D'Onofrio. You've got um, just uh, these really great – and, again, I'm, I'm blanking out on actor names, so I'm trailing off. But you, you've got just uh, a, a group of seven dudes and one woman uh, who is really kind of the eighth magnificent uh, – it's just there's a lot of fun stuff going on, and it's, it's a lot of the things that make Denzel performances so fun to watch. The swagger, the the monologues, the the righteous uh, indignation, the the arbiter of justice. It's 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 peak like Denzel as uh, old man action hero, as as the distributor of of God's justice. Uh, I think, and uh, yeah, it's just a lot of fun. I, again, I I. I feel like it got unduly thrashed. I mean, it, it didn't get treated too terribly uh, critically. I mean, it was kind of given a meh, 
but I think there's a lot to love about there uh, about it. There's actually a really great article that Priscilla Page, who writes for Birth Movies Death, she wrote a really great write-up about uh, Magnificent Seven, basically just as an underappreciated film. So that is what I would recommend. Uh, the other pairing that Denzel and Hawk did with Fuqua, and then last week's He Got Game, if you haven't bothered to catch up with that yet, because it really is something special. There you go. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I am also going to say Shelf. It's been on my shelf since seminary. It has remained there despite some DVD purges that have happened along the way. It is great. Also, good commentary by Anton Fuqua um, on oh, the DVD it out. version of the film and that alternate ending, which is also fun to have. Yeah. So uh, there are reasons to have it beyond simply just enjoying the film whenever you wish. Uh, so I would recommend it highly. Because I've rented this movie a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Probably should buy Probably it. just go ahead and buy it. Yeah. I mean, you've got a, you've got a post framed of this movie so i have two i have one at the office and one here at home oh okay so yeah you you really you you uh my my good trash friends were kind enough to get me one for my birthday my sister also got me one for christmas that year oh that's Um, hilarious yeah the same poster so i have two trading day posters that's awesome yeah man so yeah you need that um obviously in your library if you like the movies um what i'm going to pair with it uh in terms of crime films and corruption and stories about that let's go to boston let's go to the departed i think it's a good pair in that now in terms of films uh in which you're talking about this sort of black white uh sort of uh uh, contrast that's working that are in this neo-noir kind of vein, I'm going to recommend the film Collateral with Tom Cruise yeah, and man. Jamie Foxx. Oh, yeah. I think that's a very, very fun pair. That's a really good pairing. I wish I'd thought of that. that that's such a good else, not only because of, you know, it's, they're contemporaries of each other. I mean, Collateral is, what, 05? Somewhere around um, there, yeah. But it's also, you know, Fuqua at the start of his career, and then Michael Mann kind of towards the latter half of his career. I think that's a great great double bill, Dustin. I wish I had thought of it. Well, thank you very much for that. Um, lastly, and just in terms of actors acting against type, because mm-hmm. I do think if you are interested in the craft of acting and that sort of appreciation, so you're watching Denzel being anti-Denzel, um, and the other film that I watched in the syllabus of my uh, theology and film class, I'm going to recommend the film Magnolia because of Tom Cruise's performance. Yeah, his because, performance in Magnolia is so good. And it's so not Tom Cruise. No, it's so different. Man, Tom Cruise is a really talented guy, and I wish he would spend more time acting than doing action movies. Yes, absolutely. Also, I'm going to recommend the Electronica band, uh, Calm Trues, just because I like them, um, and because Calm Trues came up. It's random. I'm just doing How that. did that come up? Because we said Tom Cruise a lot. Uh, and they're, they're, it's, it's like a... Calm, gotcha. Calm Trues. Calm Trues. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're doing there. They're very fun. I see and, what they're doing there. And uh, so if you like the movie The Guest and that kind of music, it would okay. belong on that soundtrack. I'm surprised you didn't... I, when you were talking about people playing against type, I thought you were going to go with uh, Peter Fonda and Once Upon a Time in the West. Oh, no. No, but that's a, that's a good play. Wait, is yeah. that Henry? Is it's, it Henry or Peter? That's Henry. That's Henry. That's Henry. I always get them mixed up. They're all confusing. I'm I, all, I only never confuse Jane, but the rest of them I always the, well, confuse. Pete and Henry, yeah. <laughs> though they also just were, they kind of played, so, even though, you know, Peter was doing the, the um, oh my God, the motorcycle movie, son of a bitch. Oh, well, the Easy Rider. Yeah, he was doing the Easy Rider thing. You know, he's he was a counterculture icon. In whereas, the trip. Whereas his dad was decidedly an establishment cultural figure. They do kind of have similar career arcs. Yes. So uh, it's easy to mix them up. Anyhow, so there you go. Those are our picks with uh, regarding uh, the Elsas with the film Training Day that we universally say yes to. Buy it. Buy it now at Amazon.com, um, I guess, or wherever you wherever. buy it. You, you buy know your... what? Go to uh, go to your local DVD supplier. You know, that's actually a better idea. Yeah. By far. Um, so there you go. I, you know what? I think um, ABWD continues. It does. We have we have more for you. We we haven't worked our way through the entire Denzel Washington career arc. No, we haven't. So what have we done? We have we have done 
early days. We have done Crimson Tide. We have done unofficially way, you know, we kind of did screw things up with Manchurian Candidate. Eh, that's fine, that's though. kind of in the same era of Denzel, right? Um, we're, we're going to what we're going to call uh, taking a page out of Denzel Washington as the greatest actor of all time, period. We're going to take a page out of their book and call this the Icon Era. And we are going to do, uh, we already did a Tony Scott film. Now we're going to do a Ridley Scott film, and it is American Gangster. Yeah, it's going to be good times. Um, he's going to be playing uh, another villain. This another, role, another villain. Um, well, we got we got to, uh, a lot of his heroic roles early on. As if you count, especially if you count Devil in a Blue Dress as part of this marathon. Yes. Um, so we let's go ahead and get two of his real, real villainous roles back to back. But it's going to be more Brando kind of villain. It's going to be a bit more attractive than I think Alonzo Harris. Oh, definitely. So, it's a, a much more morally complicated character. So it's going to be good times. We're going to have a conversation about this, and we want you to be part of. That conversation with us because that's what makes the merch in the movie so valuable there's so much more than 90 minutes and a bucket of popcorn so will you rather you keep watching we'll keep talking and we'll see you all next time thanks for tuning in to the good trash genre cast the good trash genre cast is a production of goodtrashmedia.com for more info on all things good trash go to goodtrashmedia.com our intro music as always is a film quote supercut by our own arthur gordon featuring music from wonder woman by junkie xl and hans zimmer and our outro music this week is cream by wu-tang clan a young youth, you're rocking the go-to Low goose, only way I begin to G-York was drug loot And let's start it like this, son Rolling with this one and that one Pulling out gats for fun But it was just a dream for the team Who was a fiend Started smoking wounds at 16 And running up in gates and doing hits for high stakes Making my way on fire skates No question I was speed for cracks and weed the combination made my eyes bleed. No question, I would flow off and try to get the dough off. Sticking up right, boys, on board court. My life got no better. Same damn low sweater. Times is rough and tough like leather. Figured out I went the wrong route. So I got with a sick tight click and went all out. Catching keys from cross seas. Rolling in MPVs every week. We made 40 G. Yo, brothers, respect mine. I ain't gonna take now. Nah. Bow, boom from the gate.